Welcome to Embedded Insiders, everybody. I am Laura Dolan. I am here with my colleagues, Rich Nass, Brandon Lewis, and Alex Pulse. And today, we want to talk about why we can never get rid of our 100-year-old analog technology. Yeah, what's the deal there? Well, let me point out, number one, that analog technology is a little older than 100 years. I mean, reality is analog, isn't it? Uh, I'm giving you the benefit of doubt. Okay, so why can't we replace this with new digital stuff that's far superior to anything that's out there in analog? Well, actually, Rich, the digital technology is encroaching on every area where it can provide an advantage. In fact, one of my favorite sayings is, well, I guess that still applies to analog, though, is that every solid state solution developed to address an application space eventually dominates it. But in the case of, uh, say, power, power is an analog area. There have been a lot of advances, but they've all been material, for example. Okay. I'm not sure I understood what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) In what sense, my friend? (laughs) Well, why are are we still using the same circuits that have been out there for, okay, I'll say 50 years? Well, why are are the same resistors and diodes and capacitors still being used? There has to be a better alternative to all this stuff. It gets hot. Oh, you're you're actually talking about it. You're actually talking at the at the very component circuit level. I thought you meant yeah. in the case of application space, Rich. No, no, but no. But at the very no, component. No. Yes. Well, you still have to move electrons around. As Scotty was famous for saying, you can't change the laws of physics, Captain. So even if that's a digitally driven <laughs> LED running on a pulse code modulation duty cycle, you, you still got to move electrons through the gate so that the energy can come out as light somewhere, right? And you can't replace that with ones and zeros. Well, you can replace everything but the energy required to make the light itself with ones and zeros. I'll give you another one. What about audio? Oh, that's a sore spot for me because digital has truly taken over analog systems in audio. And the only place where you've got analog now is in the final power output stage. Uh, Well, then, of course, at the recording end, because life, as I said, is analog. So live music is analog. And even Joe Jackson famously tried to do direct to two-channel digital, handing out leaflets to tell people to be quiet between songs. But what was coming out of the instruments was still analog. Yeah, Rich, what strikes me is that we're always going to need some level of analog circuitry because for the most part, we're trying to take some signal from the real world and turn it into something digital. So isn't there always going to be some sort of analog circuitry required in a system? I guess. (laughs) I guess unless we become a completely digital world where, like, temperature becomes digital or light becomes digital, but I guess that's not going to happen, huh? Okay. But But then again, Rich... If I may interject, I'm sorry, uh, or just real, really quickly, though, if you think about it, even in IC, even in IC at the silicon level is just an array of switches that require power to be uh, switched. But please, Laura, what you were about to say. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I thought temperature was digital already. I mean, No. I, well, the actual temperature <laughs> itself, you can convert it into a digital input, but before the conversion, it's obviously analog. And, and the same thing with audio. That last stage, you're not spitting out ones and zeros. You're spitting out an analog signal. Exactly. It has to be converted to a waveform at some point for us to hear it. Right, right. That was my point. Okay. 
All right. So is this never, you're saying? Never. Well, you know what? There is a show on Netflix called Black Mirror, and in one of the episodes, elderly people go and live in a basically a virtualized cloud-based environment that is, you know, completely reconstructed. It's almost a complete virtual reality. And then once they pass away, their consciousness can be transferred into that reality. So if we are all actually either already living in that or do end up living in that, I guess everything could be digital and we wouldn't need any sort of analog circuitry whatsoever. But if we're living, in fact, in a world where everything around us is actually real, I think we're going to need analog circuitry uh, infinitum. That's an interesting point. So if we were to walk around forever with virtual reality glasses on and never live in a real world, it's possible that everything could be digital. Well, it would have to be digital, wouldn't it? Because everything would be similar. Well, it wouldn't have to be. There was life before digital, so it wouldn't have to be, but it would be a lot easier. But then again, gentlemen and lady, even if I'm lying in that drawer with the electrodes on my head, there still needs to be signal generated from whatever the digital store with all of the data store with all of the Westworld in it. But that information still has to be turned into a stream of electrons that has to travel through some medium, be it wired or wireless. And it takes energy to stimulate the synapses in the brain to make you think you're doing it. So even if it's a digital signal down to the point where it's triggering your synapses, Energy has to be expended. Anyone has to have energy expended on them at some point because the application of, of force requires energy. I think True. you're just trying to baffle me with you-know-what. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, at some point, energy has to be moved around. Force has to be applied either at, at the synapse level or at the reed head of the uh, bank of data. Well, speaking, Alex, actually, of energy moving around, I know that there was a big announcement a couple of days ago in the power space uh, having to do with power integrations and live band gap semiconductors. You recently spoke with power integrations on the news. What can you tell us about it? Well, and that's a perfect example of what I was saying about advances in power being materials-based. I mean, there are digital driving methodologies out there, and power integrations, in fact, some of these gallium nitride devices, it's a gallium nitride based, not a silicon carbide based wide band gap announcement, but they have digitally controlled power devices. But again, you still need to turn that transistor on and off and move the energy back and forth. So gallium nitride lets you do it faster. It lets you do it more efficiently. You can make power systems without fans or you could make larger power systems with fans that you could make previously. So this is a big announcement because power integrations, their InnoSwitch series is in a lot of wall warts. And aftermarket battery charges are a significant market for power devices. So I would wager that in a very short time, I could easily see power integrations being the leader in shipping wideband gap well, at least gallium nitride power devices because their products are very mainstream. And in fact, my latest column is on how this represents a mainstream adoption of gallium nitride because if somebody as mainstream and as established and as scared of risk as power integrations is using this and selling it to their customers and who knows how long their beta period was, it's good enough for your application. 
So, you know, one of the things that we all know that our respective spaces of technology can take longer than, um, you know, maybe just flashy consumer tech. But this wide band gap sort of teetering on the edge of being accepted or the community being skeptical of it uh, has been going on for years now. Does this power integrations announcement, because they are such a large player, sort of tip the scales in one angle or another? And can we start talking about something else besides wide band gap? I really hope we can. I really hope we can, Brandon. I mean, I think it's more of a underscoring and an affirmation of the recognition about a year and a half, two years ago, that wideband gap had arrived and there were really parts and yes they're really being used in designs and you can get it from mainstream vendors and so this is basically the icing on the cake are we done now and i believe yes we are done we can finally stick a fork in the promise of wideband gap and start talking about actual real world applications just like we talk about any other technology so what's the next thing that we're going to look for in the power space is it the virtual reality that I was talking about? Are we all going to be living inside of data centers and all of the efforts of the power community are going to be focused on powering those data centers? Well, actually, in a way, yes, because, for example, recently Tesla was just talking about their next generation Megapack and that it has a higher power density and better performance than ever before. And one of the things they pointed out, and if you read between the lines, they said that their power electronics were 60% smaller and lighter. And that just tells me that they're obviously using wide band gap now in their uh, mega packs in some form or another. So what we're going to start seeing now is now that wide band gap, gallium nitride, silicon carbide is mainstream, it's now going to ripple through the industry and we're going to see electric scooters that weigh a third of what they used to and we're going to see electric cars finally have ranges of over 500 kilometers without any significant changes having to be made to the structure of the vehicle because Everything you see that uses power is going to shrink in size by more than half. I guess, Rich, we have your answer. Uh, you better get ready for another at least 100 years of analog circuitry. <laughs> <laughs> well, with all the advances in medicine, I don't see that being a problem at all. Well, forget the advances in medicine. We're going to be living in the data center. There you go. Very good. Ghost in the machine. Yes. Nice job, guys. All right, well, we'll see you guys in uh, virtual reality. Yeah. If you guys want to read more about Alex's article, um, it's on our website at embedded-computing.com, and it's called Power Integration Scan Move Underscores Wide Band Gap Acceptance. So thank you all for tuning Thanks, in. Thanks, Laura. See you next time.